listening to the ACB Advocacy Update. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the ACB Advocacy Update podcast. I am one of your hosts, Clark Rockfall, the Director of Advocacy and Governmental Affairs for the American Council of the Blind. And I'm joined by my co-host. Hi, I'm Swapananda Kumar. I am the Advocacy and Outreach Specialist for ACB. And Swatha, happy Global Accessibility Awareness Day. Yes, happy GAD. <laughs> That's right, GAD for short. And big happy Global Accessibility Awareness Day to everyone uh, listening via ACB radio, as well as those downloading and streaming this podcast via your favorite podcast player. Uh, nothing like using a accessible assistive technology to access the media of your choice. And as always, we thank you for choosing the ACB Advocacy Update. If you'd like to learn more about the American Council of the Blind, including membership and registering for the ACB conference and convention, please visit our website at acb.org. So Swatha, the 10th annual GAD. Wow, that's 10 years was awesome. 10 years of recognizing global accessibility, increasing awareness for digital access and inclusion. Yes. Um, it's... Geez, we've we've got a great podcast here, but first, uh, just want to just reminisce. Like ten years ago, holy cow! This is twenty twenty one. Here we are, the third Thursday of May. I mean, we're going all the way back to twenty eleven. I mean, twenty eleven, the iPhone with voiceover has only been out for a couple years now. The twenty first century Communications and Video Accessibility Act was passed in twenty ten. So the rules and regulations implementing greater accessibility had not even come to fruition yet. And some great folks from the tech community, one of which ACB's executive director, Eric Bridges, will be speaking with later today, the accessibility evangelist for LinkedIn, Jenison Asuncion. They had the, the, the foresight and the vision to create Global Accessibility Awareness Day and make this a, a global phenomenon. Wow, just wow. <laughs> so Swatha, as we jump into our podcast here, we've got two great guests today. Uh, first, well, our second guest is a, a great friend of ACB, Larry Goldberg, and we'll have his interview coming up a little bit later on. But Swatha, who is our first guest today? Yeah, so our first guest today is Audrey Bush. She is the executive director of the Association of Assistive Technology Act programs and the co-chair of the Consortium of Citizens with Disabilities, Telecommunications and Technology Task Force. So hi, Audrey. Good morning. Thanks so much for having me and happy GAD Day. Happy GAD. So yeah, today is GAD, and um, I just want, and I'm sure members will benefit from hearing about you at ATAP. So tell us a little bit about, about ATAP and what, what, you, what you do there. Sure. So I'm the executive director of the Association of Assistive Technology Act Programs, which we say ATAP because <laughs> it's a bit of a long name, um, which is a national member-based uh, nonprofit organization. And we're comprised of state Assistive Technology Act programs who are funded under Section 4 of the Assistive Technology Act. Um, and ATAP facilitates the coordination of all of the state AT programs nationally, and we provide technical assistance and support to all of our members. Um, the, the foundation of what we do is to enhance the effectiveness of the AT programs at both at a national, state, and local level. Um, and we also represent their needs and interests at a national level as well and on Capitol Hill. Um, my role, primarily, I do much of the policy work for the organization. Um, I also work directly with our members, and I work with our technical assistance team. We call them the, the AT3 Center um, as well. So that's a little bit about, about us and, and what our purpose is. So 
And, and I should also share a little bit about what state AT programs do, if that would be helpful. Yes, please. Great. So um, Section 4 State Assistive Technology Act programs, um, it's a federally funded program authorized by the Assistive Technology Act. And in 2004, the last time that piece of legislation was reauthorized, Congress had a very clear vision of how they wanted state AT programs to conduct direct services um, across the nation. And, um, and there is a state AT program in every state and territory. So there are 56 programs. They are charged with serving the entire state entire, and the entire t- territory, along with servicing, you know, what we would say cradle to, to grave or birth to death population. Um, and it is not a means tested program. So anyone in the state that is experiencing any type of functional limitation could access the services provided by state assistive technology act programs. And the overall purpose of these programs is to increase the access to assistive technology and also the acquisition of assistive technology. And the way that our programs achieve this is by hosting four state level activities that walk a consumer through that ability to access and then the opportunity to acquire assistive technology. And these four state level activities are device demonstration where a consumer can actually interact and touch and feel pieces of assistive technology that might meet their needs. Um, And once a few pieces are decided on that might be a good fit for the consumer, they're able to actually move into the second state level activity, which is device loan. And our programs will loan devices to consumers so they can try them out in their everyday life and see if they are a good fit. And once there is a decision made and settled um, based on that loan process of what device is going to meet the consumer's needs, then the consumer would be moved into the next two state level activities, which provide and support the consumer to actually acquire a device. And that is, um, we operate reutilization programs throughout the country. they, They collect gently used equipment throughout their state or territory. They refurbish these devices, sanitize them, and then they provide them to a consumer at a greatly reduced cost or in some instances, no cost at all. Um, So that's one way our programs support a consumer to acquire a device. Um, The other activity that our programs run, uh, one of the the fourth state level activity is state financing activities. Um, And states do a number of different things to help finance devices. One of the things that they do is to provide alternative financing programs, which is really a cash loan program where the interest rate is somewhat reduced or subsidized in some way by our programs. They will do cooperative buying, so they will buy assistive technology in bulk to reduce the overall cost of assistive technology. And they do a number of different things that help a consumer obtain a device um, as well. So, so Audrey, just to back up a little bit, so in the um, device demonstration, so if if you have a, a consumer that is blind or experiencing vision loss and you know, they, they don't know what might be right for them, but they've heard a lot about screen readers or um, a Braille note taker or a Braille display. Why is the demonstration phase so important? It's a great question. And I think that both the demonstration and the loan activity are critical in the decision-making process for a piece of assistive technology. The demonstration allows the consumer to get their hands on a device before they purchase it um, to understand if it really is truly the best fit and also is something that the consumer is comfortable using. And the device loan piece, which is really important as well, because a consumer is able to to borrow um, more than one device at a time in order to truly test it out. We call it, you know, taking it for a test drive like you would a car. Um, Or I like, you know, any female that has to wear heels. um, I'll often share that, wouldn't you like to have worn them out um, outside before you buy them. Most of those go sit on a shelf because they're so uncomfortable. And, and that was the, the objective behind these two activities is to avoid device abandonment. So um, because then you really know that it's going to be the right fit. And so the dollars behind the purchase of AT are not 
or not. And that consumer is not going to have to go back and repurchase something else. So those two activities are really critical in the process of identifying what really is the best match for them. Um, Swatha, have you experienced that with, I mean, geez, assistive technology or really any technology for that matter? Are there, are there some pieces of technology that you've experienced a, you know, a steep learning curve or wish that you had some time to uh, loan or practice with a product before you had to purchase it? Yes, definitely. Um, I think the technology can be really complicated at times. So um, it's really important that like you kind of learn how to use it before you buy it or before you like take it out into the real world. So of course you need to learn, you need to like use it and then kind of figure out if, if, if it's right, right for you or not. So yeah, I'm a big part of loans and demonstrations. I, I think of even... Uh, you know, being comfortable using a screen reader like JAWS on a Windows platform or VoiceOver on my iPhone, I still find a learning curve when I try to use VoiceOver on a Mac computer or switching to TalkBack, Google screen reader on an Android smartphone. So I think there's always, even for folks that are competent, I like to think that I'm competent in some way, shape, and form. Um, but e- even in that regard, I still think there's a learning curve. So I, the loan and demonstration pro, um, provisions are very important and I think very helpful to folks. And I should add, Clark, actually, that our programs also provide training and technical assistance. It's what we call state leadership activities. And this allows them to provide training through the term of the device for consumers um, that work with our programs. And that is very helpful because like you said, there is a learning curve in many instances with devices and that support function that our programs provide is of great value to consumers um, as they use the device you know, for years to come and also may need modifications made and changes. Um, and so that relationship with their state AT program is very beneficial in more ways as well than just actually procuring the device because of the supports and the training and the technical assistance around the use of the device that they also provide. And Audrey, at the, at the state level, state and territory level, um, who are the agencies that are administering the, the state AT programs? That's also a great question because it really varies. We have 56 different states and different territories, and they all operate um, a bit differently. And the three homes where you could find a state AT program would be within a university. They could be within a state agency, and they could also be run as a separate standing nonprofit. And the best way really to find out where a, where a state's program is housed is to, there's a specific website I would refer consumers to. It's the at3center.net. And they have a directory for, um, for finding one state assistive technology act program. And that will help direct who to contact because it does vary depending on how, who the governor has appointed as, as the lead. So in the state. Great. And we'll be sure to include that, uh, that website in the podcast notes and probably have you say it a couple more times before we're done here today. Uh, Audrey, one, one more question on uh, assistive technology. So earlier this month, uh, before their accessibility summit, Microsoft announced the creation of a low-cost assistive technology fund that in New York City and Los Angeles to start uh, will provide support for broadband, uh, assistive technology, hardware, software, and training. Uh, Really curious to hear your thoughts on uh, the role of the private sector in providing accessible and assistive technology. Well, this is a great announcement. We're excited to hear um, the funds that will be coming from private industry and excited to learn more about how this will work and, and, and certainly flow down to the consumer. I think from private industry, we have seen um, efforts in the past and 
Um, and they're all very well intentioned and and um, and we find that you know providing funds is is a large piece to this puzzle, most definitely. And it's great to see that broadband is included. I think one of the items we have all become very familiar with are the barriers to procure broadband and the need for it, specifically after uh, and during this COVID-19 pandemic. So um, that's great that that is included in, in, in the op options of how to spend the, the funds for micro, um, Microsoft. Uh, but I, from the State Assistive Technology Act program perspective, one piece of, of this is we never want to have it be missing. Um, which is that there really is support with the opportunity for a consumer to engage with those devices to make the best decision when they have secured the funding and now they're moving on to procuring the device. And that's, it's, you know, it's really funding is one piece of this bigger puzzle. And we do feel that the services provided through, you know, demonstrating devices, loaning those devices does allow that consumer to find that best match for them and make that informed choice. And so that that is a second step that that we would love to see included in, in such private industry efforts that 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 work is also folded in to any funding opportunities that are provided. The, the, the funding opportunities, I would be remiss if I didn't acknowledge how grateful and terrific that is that they're offered. For sure. It seems like a great opportunity for the, the public and private sector to, to work hand in glove together. We wholeheartedly agree with that. All right. Um, kind of switching gears here. Swatha, what is uh, the next topic you have for Audrey? Yeah, so you work with the Consortium for Systems and Disabilities um, on the te Telecom and te te Task Force. So um, could you sort of talk about the CCD and what it does? Sure, we'd be happy to do that. So um, the Consortium for Citizens with Disabilities, and I, I'll refer to it as CCD moving forward, um, is a national coalition of more than 100 national disability organizations. We come together under one name and we work together to advocate on national policies that impact people with disabilities. And specifically, um, and the way that CCD is organized is they have a variety of different task forces that focus on different um, domains or, or topic areas, so to speak. Cool. So can you tell, tell us a little more about the technology and tele telecommunication task force? Sure. So um, I serve as just one of the co-chairs for the um, CCD Technology and Telecommunications Task Force. We have several others. Um, Clark Rockfall, who's on with us today, is, is a fellow co-chair, along with Eric Buhlman from the National Disability Rights Network. Um, also, Joe Nara, who represents the Perkins School for the Blind, um, are also all co-chairs um, of this task force. And the task force focuses on policy matters that pertain to telecommunications and technology. And this includes assistive technology. And ultimately the, the main goal of the task force has been to have um, full inclusion for our people with disabilities and, and really ensure that there is accessible ICT um, and that folks are thinking about accessibility on the front end of drafting pieces of legislation, including language around accessibility, um, and also to promote the fact that this needs to be a forethought, not an afterthought when we talk about accessibility uh, parameters and, and needs, so. And I, uh, certainly from ACD's perspective and this perspective of our members, we are uh, very fortunate to be involved as a co-chair of the Tech and Telecom Task Force but also to not be the only voice from the blind and low vision community. So having Joseph Naura, uh, who is representing the Perkins School for the Blind and ACB's first vice president, Mark, uh, Mark Reichert, in his capacity as interim executive director for AER, uh, being involved in the conversation is 
and being able to bring their you know, wealth of experience in different aspects um, of policy and being able to share how that impacts people who are blind and low vision, as well as the rest of the disability community. Um, Audrey, what are some of the priorities for the tech task force here in the 117th Congress? Sure. Well, we're very busy. We are um, focused on items that include digital accessibility, access to broadband. Specifically, we've been focusing on the Lifeline program and also the new broadband program coming out of the the FCC. Um, Also focusing on voting accessibility and and also any legislation that, that oversees assistive technology. So obviously that includes the Assistive Technology Act, but we are not limited to focusing on on just that piece of legislation. So it's certainly a busy time as many of these issues are paramount right now. um, As we are, many people are still accessing their world in a digital way because they are confined to their homes um, and needing broadband access to obviously Mm-hmm. Um, get access to, to that digital world. So um, it's been a big piece of what we've done over the past year as, as well. Yes. And as you mentioned, the FCC's emergency broadband benefit, that program is uh, up and running and uh, folks with need and folks who are receiving support from other federal government programs, uh, such as Lifeline, Social Security, uh, you know, formerly known as uh, food stamps, but the supple- supplemental nutrition assistance SNAP or SNAP program uh, are eligible to apply for the emergency broadband benefit. Um, again, as, as Audrey touched on earlier, this is a really interesting program because it's not only providing assistance for uh, a broadband you know, internet connection subsidy, but there's also a uh, matching subsidy for uh, internet connected devices. Um, But it's really focused on the affordability side of assistance and access, right? So you'd still want to work with your state AT program to ensure that you are getting uh, a connection and the technology that would work for you, uh, you know, for your specific needs and your specific preferences, right, Audrey? Yes, absolutely. And I think in in the sense that um, while the provider through the FCC is is going to provide a device ensuring that there may be the applications that are needed um, from an accessibility standpoint on the device or other potential pieces of AT that might be needed, that it, that's another avenue to tap, you know, your state AT program um, to, to, um, to find out more information about and to find out if you can, you can even loan applications on devices. Um, you can borrow them from the state AT program. So um, it, it, they're a great resource uh, should, have, should someone seek a device through that, that method. And that's a great tip. Not only is the tech task force monitoring these programs and providing input on legislation, but we're also working to become a, a, we're working as advocates, right? So we're working to become a a trusted resource and collaborating with folks on the Domestic Policy Council in the White House. We've met with the executive director for the U.S. Access Board and we're arranging meetings with the FCC's Disability Rights Office, as well as the National Council on Disability as well. Audrey, anything else that you'd like to add about the the work of the Tech Task Force? I think we've covered it. Um, And I would just add that um, we we are truly trying to open doors to um, funding methods for consumers for both broadband and and actual devices, um, and 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 hopefully we will continue to be successful in this throughout the years. And it, it's an exciting task force to be a part of because uh, technology and ensuring digital access and inclusion, like we're here to promote on GAD, uh, it touches so many aspects of our lives and our members' lives. So whether that is access to 
the internet or communications, you know, access to communications to be integrated in our community and prevent social isolation, uh, access to broadband so that we can maintain our place, whether it's employment or e-learning and education um, and have access to those materials. As, as Audrey said, uh, accessible voting, ensuring that that technology is accessible. And then as, as innovation marches on, uh, working with our friends and partners in the transportation community to ensure that any technology, and there's a lot of it, used in modern transportation services, whether mainstream services, public transportation, or paratransit services, use technology that uh, incorporates accessibility from the ground up. All right. And Audrey, as we uh, go to our break and we get ready to welcome our next guest, uh, would you please provide the website again where folks can find out more information and and try to find the state uh, assistive technology program provider in their area? Sure, I'd be happy to. It is at3center.net. And there you can find the program directory and search by state to find out contact information. Great. Audrey, thank you so much for joining us on Global Accessibility Awareness Day. And folks, stay tuned. We will be right back with our second guest. To sign up for our announcements, send a blank email to radio-announce plus subscribe at acblists.org. That's radio-announce plus subscribe at acblists.org. All right, everyone, welcome back. We are here with our second guest on Global Accessibility Awareness Day, and we are very fortunate to be joined by Larry Goldberg. And as we said earlier, Larry is the head of accessibility for Verizon Media and co-founder of Teach Access. Larry, happy Global Accessibility Awareness Day. We are all celebrating today. Uh, it's, it's a great day, and uh, I think as we'll talk about, a great year and time to be working on these issues. And it is very exciting to see how much attention uh, digital access and inclusion has been getting, you know, not only over the 10 years of Global Accessibility Awareness Day, uh, but even before that. So Larry, could you share with us a little bit on your background in the technology space? Sure, I, I've, been, I've been in this field for quite a while. I started, um, amazingly enough, in 1985 at WGBH in Boston where captioning of TV was invented. Um, working on the captioning side. And after a very brief period, I got introduced to a video description, as we called it then, descriptive video service. And really, I have to say, probably my first exposure to the blind community was through our great, great friends locally, uh, Kim and Brian Charlson from ACB, uh, who helped direct uh, how WGBH actually developed their uh, now audio description service. And from that point on, working on captioning, working on description, working on whatever the next form of media was, um, eventually created the National Center for Accessible Media because media was changing so rapidly, uh, moving quickly from VHS tapes to DVDs to streaming media. And we decided we needed standards, we needed policies, we needed consultation. And so right until I left WGBH in... 2017, no, not even, um, 2014, sorry, um, I was at NCAM uh, getting my hands on everything I could to help change technology. Well, uh, you know, I've, I've heard in politics, uh, all roads lead back to Iowa, but it seems when it comes to uh, technological inclusion and accessibility, it seems like all roads lead back to WGBH. Incredible place, incredible place in history, the right time, the right place, the right people. It all came together, and uh, I learned so much there, just so much. So I made so many friends in the, in the community. That's really the best part. Yeah, and fast forward to 2014. What have you been doing since then, Larry? Well, uh, you probably remember uh, the work we all did on the Communications and Video Accessibility Act, CVAA. Um, with 
uh, I can't say my good friend, but someone I've worked closely with, Senator Tom uh, Tom Harkin, and Senator Ed Markey at that time, representative. Um, I worked a lot with the community on that uh, legislation. Got asked by the FCC to co-chair the committee to write the regs. I was still at UBH at the time, but not long after. And I don't know if you were there, but AFB had a conference in Brooklyn. I remember how cold it was. And I was approached by the head of accessibility at Yahoo, Mike Shabanek, now head of accessibility at Facebook. And he posed me this question that said, you wouldn't ever consider leaving GBH, would you? Um, because in Mike's eyes, too, it was really the center of accessible media universe. And I was absolutely ready to take a venture into the for-profit, large-scale uh, world where I really felt strongly that it was time for corporations to pick up the slack and do their job. And so at Yahoo, I became director of accessible media. So really just dealing with all the streaming media we were doing. And then when Mike left uh, about a year and a half ago, I took over as head of accessibility of that group. And what I do is oversee a group that uh, looks at all of our products, all of our services, our native apps, mm -hmm. making sure they're fully accessible, all of our media. And I have the great freedom to work on projects like like Teach Access, like XR Access, the world of virtual reality we're deeply involved in. So I've been there uh, really since June of 2014, coming up on my seventh anniversary. And Global Accessibility Awareness Day was started 10 years ago. So were you aware of, and I'll just start calling it GAD, were you aware of GAD when you were at WGBH and as you began at Yahoo? Yeah, I think I actually met Jenison Asuncion, who we all see as one of the co-founders of GAD with Joe Devon. Uh, Jenison was still in Canada at the time. One of the first people I met in this expanded universe of digital accessibility. So, yeah, I think I was there among the first, the first year of GAD um, and have participated ever since and have spent an awful lot of time working with Jenison and Joe to really try to um, extend the reach of that, and they've done an amazing job. And Larry, what are some of the, I guess, most transformational uh, forms of accessibility that you have seen over the past 10 years? Well, amazingly enough, I am so steeped in technology and what technology can do and will do and should do, but the major change really has been in hearts and minds. Uh, and I really have to say, and I, I hear this from my friends in the field, things are changing like rapidly in the past five years, even not even 10, where people are waking up. They're realizing both the power of technology to change the lives of people with disabilities, but also the really, really unfortunate barriers that new technology can create. And with that, and even like, really, like I said, the last five years and less, it's an awakening that people realize that the world is way more diverse than they ever imagined. Uh, and the effect of inaccessible technology is more dire than people ever imagined. And of course, then in the last year with our uh, suffering from the pandemic and uh, focus on racial justice, uh, it's even more so. Acceleration has happened even more so in people's understanding that you can't sit in the sidelines. You've got to do your job. And Larry, who is who is awakening? Uh, is it people with disabilities recognizing how technology can assist and enhance their lives? Is it the, the broader public or is it the people uh, building, developing and implementing the technology? Yeah, well, people with disabilities have long recognized the need and the benefit and the hazards that we're all learning from people whose lives are mediated by technology, which I heard uh, Chancey Fleet uses that, that expression. She's blind and she says, yeah, I'm tech day in and day out. That's how I live. So that's not who's waking up. The people who are waking up are the companies who build uh, and the general public. But those people who are responsible for designing, developing and building new digital technologies, whether it's streaming media, smartphones, uh, virtual reality, over-the-top set-top boxes, that's who's waking up. That's who's realizing they've got a much bigger audience they need to serve, a greater opportunity to, uh, of a market to serve, but also just the great benefit 
uh, of a company showing that they get it and that they care, that goes miles uh, in terms of people's just feeling about the companies they give their money to. Yeah. And I mean, you, you touched on it right there. Do you, do you think at all, <laughs> uh, last year we celebrated the 10th anniversary of the CVAA as well. And you mentioned the 21st century communications video accessibility act. Uh, do you think that helped to shift the landscape also? For sure. Uh, I think there are a lot of people who all of a sudden had, uh, a document put in front of them saying, okay, now you must do this. Mm. Uh, and we're serious. So the idea that, you know, browsers on smartphones had to be built with accessibility built in that, uh, of course, description then finally became required on a certain amount of television programming and that much, not all, but quite a bit of streaming media had to be captioned. Yeah. A lot of people all of a sudden realized, Oh, I have some responsibilities here. I better learn about it. And that transformed a lot of the marketplace. The consulting companies sprang up. The service companies that can help people get on board, they sprang up. Um, and yeah, there's nothing like some legal requirements to uh, shift some of your uh, priorities uh, and then actually start innovating around that. And then the innovations around meeting uh, the CVA became very, very interesting. Yeah. And it, so not only the legal and regulatory requirements, but once the technology was out there and becoming implemented, uh, it really became more visible to the broader public as a whole, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, these days, I don't have great data on this. I wish I had it, but we think something like 80% of the people who use closed captions are not deaf or hard of hearing which is pretty awesome. And that's exactly how it should be. Uh, a development that was started uh, for people with disabilities uh, so they can get through their day, uh, their information and entertainment just becomes great for everyone. Uh, so there was a lot that came out of that. And I think the companies at first were doing a lot of kind of manual fixes to meet the regs. And that's then when some smartness came in and we use the term operational excellence. So the mechanisms put in place to just make it all work a lot better have also been developed. It's behind the scenes. It's uh, stuff that users don't see, but that's where some great uh, production um, advances have taken place. And Larry, what are some of the innovations at Verizon Media um, and you know, the, the greater Yahoo properties that, you are most proud of when it comes to digital access and inclusion? Well, I did start in the world of captioning when I entered this field. So I have to point to the fact that just uh, officially on April 1st, we announced that 100% of the video that we stream on all of our platforms will be closed captioned. Now, if you know the CVAA, the only thing we're required to caption is previously broadcast content. Well, we don't really focus on previously broadcast. We have web originals and we have stuff produced for the web. But we, we said we're going way, way beyond compliance. And so not only our own productions for Yahoo Finance, and Yahoo News, Yahoo Sports, but everything we stream from our partners, Reuters and AP and Bloomberg and Fox Business, we're capturing their stuff too. If they don't give us caption files, we do it. And in order to pull this off, yay, we got budget allocation, very important. And then we assigned some very smart engineers and they worked out a workflow to almost make it automated that videos get sent to a caption supplier, someone who does the authoring, by the way, with humans, not with machines, uh, not ASR. It flows back into our publishing network and it's, I won't say seamless, but it's working pretty well. And I gotta say, I'm pretty proud of those engineers who figured that out, uh, how to take thousands and thousands of videos every single day get them captioned, put them through our publishing system, deliver into our users' screens. Uh, and it's all, it's working pretty well. That's awesome. And, uh, you know, I have to ask it, uh, what about audio description? Yeah, we have, most of our content is very short form, form uh, bits and bytes. Uh, someone sitting uh, at a, a news desk and talking to the camera, it doesn't really uh, lend itself very well to description. 
Uh, I've got my eyes open all the time for anything that's long form that's going to be of interest. So we've done some mini documentaries. We've done some description on anything, oh, probably longer than 10 minutes. This is going to be a great bit coming out. Um, I guess I can say it because it'll be on GAD. Yahoo News is producing a mini documentary on Dean Kamen, the inventor of the Segway, the iBot, uh, and that will be described. Um, and we are looking for whenever we got anything that's longer form, uh, we have we do have it described. That is great. And certainly I'm a fan of the Yahoo sports and fantasy football user interface and having that level playing field uh, with my friends to follow sports and participate in that arena. Um, And then also the innovations at Yahoo Finance about providing audio feedback for graphs and charts. Yeah, both both of those, you know, there there's your your marriage of people and technology. The All Blind Fantasy League is an incredible group of uh, blind fantasy league players, led by our great friend Brian Fischler, league commissioner, uh, and a woman on my staff who is both a trash talker and a blind uh, fantasy football user, Kasia Timmons, and these guys, boy, if you're in that world of fantasy football, they're hysterical. And they really put our technology to the test. So they are helping us uh, improve that every single day. And so that's the people side. Uh, people have a passion like crazy for fantasy football. Over on the Yahoo Finance side, we had an engineer whose father had lost his vision. And she said, I'm going to make Yahoo Finance accessible she did the research. She did the digging. Her name is Sukriti Chada, who happens to be with Spotify now. And Sukriti pushed through this talking charts uh, part of our native apps. And it's pretty astounding, especially when people don't know it's coming and they've got their screen reader turned on. And all of a sudden, it starts, the charts start talking to them. Uh, and if you're a money person, you're a stock market person, uh, and you use assistive technology, those talking charts are both pretty awesome and really fun to use. And Larry, let's transition now to the other, one of the other hats that you wear uh, being Teach Access. So we've talked about uh, not only the regulations behind increasing digital access to media and information, and also your corporate experience with implementing uh, greater accessibility. Talk with us a little bit about the about Teach Access and what what is Teach Access. Uh, Teach Access is a collaboration of major companies, universities, and advocates uh, for people with disabilities who join together with this common recognition that we can't just keep on fixing and breaking and fixing and breaking the technology that's developed and rolled out. Um, that we have to start sooner. We need a systemic solution to the development of new technologies. And uh, many of us in the field, particularly colleagues at Facebook and Google and Microsoft initially, now quite a few more, um, said, we hire these young engineers, developers, designers coming out of college, and we, we ask them, what do they know about accessibility? Have you ever turned on a screen reader? Have you ever met a person with that uh, disability? And most of the time the answer was no, no, don't really know anything. And so we go and train them up and spend an awful lot of time starting from scratch. And we said, how can we change this whole field, particularly the entrance coming in? And we turned our sights on higher ed. We had already relationships with uh Institutions like uh, Gallaudet and RIT and University of Washington, uh, Michigan State. I mean, all over the country, we had uh, people who believed the same thing. So together, we said we need to develop an initiative that will drive the teaching of accessible design and development into the curricula of universities, starting with computer science, web design, human-computer interface, and then branching out from there. We just hit somewhere around our five-year anniversary of the very first time we got together in a conference room at Yahoo and said, all right, how are we going to do this? And uh, we put together this coalition. It's grown and grown. 
We now have a couple of dozen universities involved, probably as many companies involved, and we rely on the direction of uh, our friends in the advocacy community to help us scale. And we're going to scale because we really do need to reach what is very likely to be uh, a million graduates over the next, uh, call it seven years. Um, and we want them all to have some exposure to what it means to uh, use digital technology fully accessible. Uh, we've given out grants to faculty members to build the teaching into their courses. Uh, we've brought students out to Silicon Valley uh, for a full week tour of all the major companies out there. Then we did it online this year. Uh, and we're going even higher. Uh, and, I'll, and I'll mention right here that on Global Accessibility Awareness Day, uh, another collaboration called the Valuable 500 that came out of the Davos World Economic Forum uh, is going to announce that a small group, a subset of the 500, are going to announce major commitments to change how the world looks at technology and development for people with disabilities. And Verizon, uh, our parent corporation, is going to be pledging massive support. Like uh, it will scale up and really move the needle uh, behind creating the, the next generation of technologists who are fully steeped in how to design and develop accessibly. Wow, that is that is awesome. Um, Larry, I mean, you throughout your career, you've you've witnessed the growth of captioning and audio description. You've witnessed the evolution of accessibility at the private sector. What what changes have you seen throughout your involvement with Teach Access of the implementation and inclusion of accessibility in the curriculum? Well, I have to say, this generation of students we're dealing with over the past couple, three years, they are so ready and so engaged to get involved in this. Uh, I don't know if the previous generation or previous set of graduates would have jumped in the way the ones we're meeting now are, but it's really uh, outstanding. These graduates from the past three-year classes of Study Away are landing great jobs. They're smart as hell. They get it immediately. We had our Study Away uh, virtual meeting a couple of weeks ago. There were 80 students uh, from nine universities, and we showed them some of the augmented reality that we've been developing at uh, Yahoo and at uh, our Riot Studios, which is our AR VR uh, production house. And we said, you know, here's some AR. What do you think we should do to make it accessible? And we all broke down into these breakout rooms, and we came back with this punch list of things we should do. And these are people who've never worked in the field. They're sophomores and juniors and seniors in college. And they gave us the most amazing list of things that we could do to make uh, our next generation technology more accessible. And I think the change is, I don't think I can give Teach Access credit for this, but I could certainly say Teach Access is in the right place with the right young people to take advantage of a new mindset that uh, this generation just realizes, hey, we're all different. We all have different needs. Uh, and I'm going to dedicate uh, my time and effort to see how I can contribute. And that, that's been really uh, pretty amazing. And you are helping to bring uh, fresh ideas and fresh minds forward to tackle these issues. And we, we certainly thank you for that. Uh, you mentioned augmented reality and virtual reality, and that's just you know tip of the iceberg for new technologies that are on the horizon. Uh, we've at ACB have been working a lot with our partners in the autonomous vehicle space. So more uh, technology and human machine interfaces that we want to ensure are accessible from day one. What are some other areas in terms of technology on the horizon that ACB and our members should be paying attention to? Well, I will start with that first one, XR, which is the catch term for augmented immersive uh, extended reality. Uh, we have a major symposium coming up on June 10. I really encourage your members to tune in, a free all-day seminar, symposium. Uh, you can find out more at xraccess.org. The keynoter, and here's another change of mindset 
The keynoter for the day will be the chief innovation officer at the U.S. Department of Labor, Chika Agu, who is so excited to point the efforts of the Department of Labor, because it really is a lot about the workforce, uh, to make sure these next generation technologies are accessible. We can thank uh, our friends at this organization called the Partnership for Employment and Accessible Technology, who are helping build out both Teach Access and XR Access to bring this major federal agency to the table. And interestingly enough, Pete is also working on um, uh, vehicles, autonomous vehicles. So that's clearly where you're involved. And you can't have a conversation about technology without talking about AI. Uh, artificial intelligence is going to be infused in everything we do. It already is in many ways. I think ACB, your memberships, particularly your technologists, should keep a very close eye on both the benefits and the hazards of this rapid deployment of AI. It is going to be everywhere. Right now, you know, captioning is making use of a lot of machine learning. Uh, it's not perfect, but it's getting way better. What about the incorporation of AI for image recognition and not just static images, but dynamic? Imagine, and this is probably decades in the making, but I've been guessing wrong on many developments. If you could run a video of a dramatic scene through an AI engine and have in context the images and actions being described, that's next. Uh, image recognition for dynamic uh, imagery, getting down to the point of documentaries, news, and even uh, drama. I want to see that happen. It's a huge reach, but I, I think it's the inevitable next step uh, in turning our machines loose. And even on that same vein, Larry, thinking about it in terms of uh, health and safety or emergency information, having the AI-generated uh, descriptions for something like a weather map um, and something in, something like that. Sure, sure. Um, all of the kind of issues to get you through your day from, you know, checking the weather, having alerts, having things made for you as needed, your internet of things, uh, getting to the point of seamlessness is really where we really need to be. And we need to have uh, users not only test out these new technologies, but design them. So we, uh, the people I work with in these emerging technology fields are always looking to have people with disabilities lead these efforts, be involved, be developers. Uh, having the lived experience means you're going to avoid uh, the common mistakes that uh, people who have sight might make because they make assumptions. Uh, so throughout your day, wherever you might run into something where some sighted assistance may help, well, let's see how and whether using AI would really facilitate uh, your ease of moving through the day. Well, Larry, as, as these developments come along in uh, artificial intelligence, augmented reality, virtual reality, uh, and uh, just digital access and inclusion in general, we will be sure to have you back as part of the conversation. Uh, before we let you go here, please share with folks where they can find out more about XR Access, Teach Access, and the exciting work that you are a part of. Sure. My, my unit is, uh, you can find a lot about what we do at verizonmedia.com slash accessibility. And Teach Access is at teachaccess.org. And XR Access is at xraccess.org. You can recognize the theme there. It's all about access. <laughs> well, Larry, thank you so much. And folks, stay tuned. And Swatha and I will be back to wrap up this podcast. Happy access uh, Global Accessibility Awareness Day, Larry. The same to you and to everyone else on the globe. All right, Swatha, what a uh, <laughs> great podcast for Global Accessibility Awareness Day. Again, a big thank you to Audrey Bush from ATAP and Larry Goldberg from Verizon Media slash Yahoo and Teach Access for joining us for this conversation. Yeah, definitely. It's a great conversation today. <clears throat> and Swatha, what stood out to you from our conversation with Audrey Bush about the uh, assistive technology act programs 
So, yeah, it was such me was I did not kind of know about AT3 Center. So I think that kind of no, kind of like seeing how the corporate world and the government world um, kind of intermingle and how um, much the available out there for people with disabilities was kind of great, interesting to hear. And I really enjoyed that part, that part of the chat. So. I agreed. You know, growing up in Maryland, um, I received my assistive technology from uh, Doors, the Department of Rehabilitation Services, when I was in school. I imagine that was the agency. You know, little did I know in high school and college, right, where the um, the program funding was coming from. Nor nor did I did I care. They got me my video magnifier and a a computer with a screen reader. Uh, but interesting to hear that the the programs and services might be administered by different departments or agencies depending on where you live throughout the country. So that at3centers dot dot org dot net dot at3centers.net. That would certainly be a, a very valuable resource for ACB and our members. Yeah, definitely. And then the conversation with Larry Goldberg in the work of Teach Access. What stood out to you there? I did not know that there was a thing called Teach Access. So learning about that and learning um, how they work with professionals and how they work with students to kind of get them excited excited, excited about accessibility and excited about um, equity in the technology space. It's really cool cool to hear. really nice to um, know that. There are people like there are people that want to make the world a better place. So that's kind of cynical, but yeah. Imagine that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I my favorite part about talking with Larry uh, was really hearing how a lot of this was spurred on by the advocacy work of ACB and others with the passage of uh, the CVAA, the Communications Video Accessibility Act. How that regulatory framework. Uh, really spurred on a lot of initiatives from the private sector, uh, really you know, lit a fire under their pants, but also just how they're going above and beyond, um, not only because A, they have to meet some regulatory requirements, but B, they recognize that in a lot of cases, it just makes good sense for customer service, but also that the current supply of trained professionals doesn't meet the demand that they have. So uh, Teach Access is just a a great program where it's providing uh, knowledge and resources for uh, the STEM programs of today and in the future uh, in order to have these trained professionals coming out of colleges and universities ready to tackle uh, these digital accessibility barriers and promote inclusion and promote uh, really the, the heart of Global Accessibility Awareness Day going forward. Yeah, it kind of speaks to how our members and how our advocacy advocacy work, advocacy work um, kind of leads to real change, mean, meaningful change. So yeah, keep um, to our members on um, just keep telling us what to, what to do and we'll, and we'll get get it done. So yeah. Absolutely. So again, if you want to learn more about the state assistive technology program in your area, visit at3centers.net and we'll include that in the the podcast notes and description as well. You can always check out uh, more information at teachaccess and xraccess.org. And always, uh, well, before we get to that, it's Global Accessibility Awareness Day in the 10th one. So share with us, tweet at us, uh, post to ACB on Facebook, share with us how you are celebrating Global Accessibility Awareness Day. And as always, keep advocating. Get up, get up, get up, get up, get up, get up, get up. Thanks for listening to the ACB Advocacy Update. You can reach us by emailing advocacy at acb.org. The ACB Advocacy Update is a production of the American Council of the Blind in Alexandria, Virginia. To learn more about ACB, visit us online at www.acb.org.
www.ghostofthecoast.org. 